Welcome to Murder by Nature, where we discuss true crime, mystery disappearances, and unsolved cases. I'm Jasmine Hernandez, your host. I want to thank you guys for coming back and listening every week. I know I say that weekly, but it it just amazes me how many people have listened to the first episode and continue to listen to every episode every week. There's so many people across the United States and other countries that I see pop up within the day that I release an episode. I know this one's going to be released a little bit after nine. I'm actually recording it at nine today on Saturday because this case is a big one. Um, It's a case that I've been interested in researching and following for seven years now. And there's so much in this case to cover all in one episode. So I'm going to split it up into multiple parts. It's going to be a long one. Um, This case has some breaking news that just came out in the last few days, and I got a little emotional about that. But as I go through this case, I'm going to state the facts and keep it as unbiased as possible. I did listen to this case back in 2014 um, on a podcast called Serial. A docu-series was also made on this. um, So you can find all of this information online. But Serial, that podcast is created by a woman named Sarah and a non-Saeed's friend. And they go through court documents, police evidence, uh, interview tapes, everything that you can think of. And it leaves you sitting there wondering. So as you know now, this is the case of the murder of Heyman Lee and also known as the case of Anand Saeed. This case, it kind of rocked true crime. It was one of the first podcasts that came out about true crime and really got the entire world in an uproar of the information that's came out from this. So I'm not going to state my opinion on this case or my thoughts. I'm going to try and keep it strictly factual and have a very unbiased stance as we go through it. And I'll state my thoughts and my opinion at the very end, which won't be in this episode, but it will be in the next one. So as we jump into this case, please make sure that you're keeping an open mind. There's a lot of stuff going around this case with that breaking news that just came out. So we're going to see new updates happen and I'll be make sh- I'll make sure to try and cover all of those. Now, our references for today's episode are HBO, The Case Against Anand Saeed, Serial Podcast Season 1, AllThat'sInteresting.com, Anand Saeed Wikipedia, Anand Saeed, Wikipedia, the uh, the contents uploads, um, all the transcripts from Serial, Root Claim, Wikipedia, WSJ, Newsweekly, and Biography.com. And with that, we're going to jump into this case. On January 13th, 1999, Hay Men Lee disappeared. Hay was an 18-year-old senior at Woodland High. At, it was a school in Baltimore County. She was Korean, she was smart, beautiful, goofy, and played field hockey and lacrosse. Hay was part of a magnet program at her school, and she had a great group of friends. On the day in question, Hay was supposed to be leaving school to go pick up her cousin from her school. She was in kindergarten and take her home. After that, she was going to meet up with her boyfriend. Adnan and Hay started dating April 1st, 1998, and they kept it a secret from their parents. As a Pakistani-American and a Korean-American, Anand and Hay apparently feared negative reactions from their families due to multiple religious and cultural differences. 
Their relationship started just as any other high school couple does by telling their mutual friends that they liked one another until finally Debbie told Anon to just ask Hay to prom. And he did. Anon asked Hay and she said yes. On the day of prom, Anon picked up Hay from her house to go to Asia's house to take pictures and all ride together. Hay recalls that Anon wasn't ready when he picked her up and she feared that that would make them late. Hay didn't want to be late. At prom, Anon was surprised to be announced prince and Stephanie was his princess. Due to tradition, Anon and Stephanie were supposed to dance together. But Hay's favorite song came on. Hay got a little jealous that he was her date but dancing with another girl to her favorite song. But Anon shocked her. He came over to her and asked her to dance. Hay wrote in her diary after prom, and it stated, I swear, he's the sweetest guy. Let me tell you why. He was prom prince, and Stephanie was prom princess. And traditionally, they're supposed to dance together to my song, Casey and Jojo, All My Life. I tried to act natural and unjealous, but it did bother me. Ten seconds later, guess who's dancing with me and not Stephanie? Adnan. Now I cannot fall in love with this guy. Of course, I gave him my first kiss on his lips, and then I totally fell in love with him. Since then, I keep falling deeper and deeper into him. The bad thing is we have to keep it a secret. Sigh. I know it's going to be okay because love conquers all. Now, the relationship started to bloom from then. As the relationship grew, Anon and Hay had to be creative with the way that they spent time together. Remember, this was a secret. They had a whole system for this, though. One would page the other when the coast was clear. See, back then there wasn't cell phones, so they had little pagers. And I've had to learn how a pager worked because I obviously didn't have a pager or a cell phone back then. Then what would happen is after the other one would page that the coast was clear, that person would call some 800 service number, like the weather or the time, and then the other one would call in so the phone didn't actually like ring. It would come through call waiting. And that way their parents would never know that the phone rang or that they were on the phone with someone else. Now, being 17, 18 years old, they would also hang out late at Best Buy to hook up. And some nights they would tell their parents that they were staying with friends and get a hotel room to stay the night together. Now, Anon's mother started to become a little suspicious of where Anon was going and started listening in on his phone calls. And that's when she found out that Anon was dating. She immediately told her husband, who didn't believe her. See, Anand had really, really good grades. He was a good student, and his dad couldn't believe that he could have a girlfriend and be having good grades. It didn't seem plausible to him, so he kept blowing it off and blowing it off. Now, during their relationship, Anand had to go to a conference in Texas with his dad, and in Hay's diary, she wrote about this. I like him. No, I love him. This was dated May 15th. It's just all the things that stand in the middle. His religion and Muslim customs are the main things. It irks me to know that I'm against his religion. He called me the devil a few times. I know he's only joking, but it's somewhat true. And then from this, it goes to July when Anand went to that Islamic conference in Texas with his dad. This is the most distress that Hay gets on this topic. And it's a little sad because... I will say when you look through this, Anand didn't see himself like this. He didn't see that he was very religious. He was drinking. He was smoking. He was hanging out with girls. He was having sex. And he's been doing this since he was 14 years old. So to him, to see this perspective of him was a little weird. 
And it says, I keep crying over the phone because I miss him so much. He told me that his religion means life to him. He tried to remain faithful to Muslim all of his life, but he fell in love with me, which is a great sin. He told me that there's no way he'll ever leave me because he can't imagine a life without me. Then he said that one day he'll have to choose between me and his religion. I love him so much. And when that comes to choosing, I'm going to let him go his way. I hate the fact that I'm the cause of his sin. He said that I shouldn't feel like I'm pulling him away from his religion, but hello, that's exactly what I'm doing. Now, Hay started to get frustrated with their relationship around homecoming. She wanted a boyfriend that she can spend time with and be around their family. And with Anand's family, that would never go. He wasn't supposed to be dating at his age, and he wasn't supposed to be dating outside of his religion. And when it came all crashing down, it was at the homecoming dance. Anand and Hay went together, but Anand's parents showed up, and they weren't very happy. They pulled Anand out, and it's played that this big dramatic thing, but in a phone call that he had that night with a friend, he was laughing about it. He said that they showed up and ripped him out of the dance. But on Hay's perspective, she got super frustrated. She left and she was really annoyed with Anon in the following days. And that followed because she didn't want to be with him anymore. She said with everything going on, she felt like she was losing herself and losing who she was. And she felt like everything she was doing was for Anon. And that he was possessive over her and her space. Friends say that this is one of the many breakups that they would have over the course of the relationship until their final split in December of 1998. It was only complicated further when Anon found out that Hay was actually dating another man named Don. And there's a little bit of overlapping in their relationship. Hay wrote in her diary at the end of the relationship in the beginning of Dawn. This was on November 4th. And she wrote... Who would have thought we would end like this? Who would have imagined the amount of pain that comes with a broken heart? I know I'm doing the right thing. Call me selfish, but this pain is way less than it would be if we stayed together. But then again, they got back together. They reunited because exactly one month later on December 3rd, she was full of happiness and love for a nod again. This feels so real, so loving and ever so amazing. I can't be any happier, but yet I keep being happier. But then three days later on December 6th, What's the matter with me? Sometimes I close my eyes, I see my baby, but I keep thinking of someone else, Dawn. Dawn has blue eyes and blonde hair, a Camaro, and I really, really like him. For the next couple of days, she's racked with guilt and confusion over what to do. At one point, she writes Anon's name in a giant letter block made out of tiny little Anon's, and then underneath that, she does the same for Dawn. Giant letters made up of Dawn, Anon. And on another page, she writes Dawn's name 127 times. It's not clear from the diary when she was finally over Anon, but it's certain that by around the Christmas time, they officially split up. They were no longer together. On New Year's Eve, Hay, Hay had her first, first official date with Dawn, and they started going out. Hay was head over heels. And Anisha, which is one of Hay's best friends, remembers that they went on a double date two Fridays and then they went and saw the movie Shakespeare in Love. Now, one of the big things within this is everyone says that Anon was jealous and upset and frustrated with the fact that they broke up. But one of their teachers, Donna, said that she taught Anon and Hay. She taught AP psychology. And she had known them both since they were freshmen. See, 
They were in a magnet program together, which was made up of about 30 kids. And in that program, they all do the same classes, the same everything. So they're constantly together. And at her job, she worked at a high school. So she saw a lot of breakups. When they had broken up, it had been like a month or more. But Anand was dating multiple girls. She says, I can I can tell you some of the girls he was dating. She, he wasn't upset. And hey, breaking up with him, she was dating someone else. But he was dating a girl named Angie in Philly. And that he went to go see her and this girl. I guess he was a player. He had a lot of girls. <laughs> he was talking to multiple ones. But Angie, she confirmed. It was a couple visits. They made out. Nothing too serious. On New Year's Eve, Anon met up with another girl, Anisha, from Silver Springs, Maryland. He started calling her a lot, too. And then Anon's friend, Mac, remembered that he was also making out with another friend of theirs at a party in January. So... Yeah, he was a player. As their relationship evolved into friends, Hay writes about a time just before Christmas. It was after they broke up and she got into a little car accident. She called up Anon to come and get her from work because she didn't know who else to call. And both Dawn and Anon looked at the car together. They decided that she couldn't drive it and Anon decided to take her home. Everything was very cultural. Even Dawn recalls this event and that's when he met Anon. And he met him as a friend and everything seemed fine. Now, on January 13th, 1999, everything started out like a normal day. Hay was at school getting ready to see her new boyfriend. And no one knew that that evening, all the excitement that was revolving around that day would change. Hay and Anon had a couple classes together. First period and also last period, AP Psychology. That's when Aisha last saw Hay. At the end of psychology, she was talking to Anand and then they, their friend Debbie remembers seeing Hay go to her car. She told Tebby that she had to go get her cousin from school and then she was going to go see Dawn at the mall. See, one of their other friends ran a little concession stand right outside the gym and Hay would go by every day to get the same thing. A very fine apple juice and hot fries. On that day, she drove up in front of the gym where the concession stand was and left her car ra- running. She got all of her snacks that she wanted, and then she went on her way. Now, when people ask this friend if she saw anyone with Hay, she says no. She was by herself. So the team had a wrestling match that day, and Hay was their manager, but she never showed back up to go to that event with them. At 3.30 p.m., Hay's cousin's school calls the Lee residence. They let her know that no one picked up her cousin from school. Hay's family thought that was strange because that was Hay's job. That's what she did every day. And her family started to page her with no response. Hay's brother remembers calling her friends to see if any one of them was with Hay, but he had no luck. Now, as 6 p.m. rolled around, they called the police to the Lee residence. They searched her room for any information that might lead them to her. And when they opened up her diary, they found a number written down. It belonged to a non Anon told investigators that he called Hay that night before because he got a new phone and he was the one in their group that had a phone. So he was all excited about it and he wanted her to have his new number. Anon remembers that all he can think of when he got the call from the police was, oh, no, Hay's mom is going to be so upset because now the police was involved. He didn't know where she was, but he was just thinking she's going to be in big trouble. As the night grew, Baltimore got hit with a massive ice storm, and school was canceled for the next two days. 
Due to this, no one ever knew if Hate got back home, if she was safe. They didn't have any update. They kind of just like let it be because with the ice storm, the electricity was knocked out all across town. Two days after Hay disappeared, Krista, one of their best friends, had her 18th birthday party. See, Hay was super excited about this, and she wanted to celebrate her day, and Krista invited the entire class, and it said that everyone's like, oh, Hay's going to be there. No worries. Maybe she was just with her boyfriend. Maybe she didn't want to get in trouble. There were so many things that they thought, never that something was wrong. Now, as the party comes along, Jay, Stephanie, and Anand show up together, but the mood was a tad gloom. See, everyone was having a good time, but as the night went on, there was still no sign of hay, and that's when things started to really set in that something wasn't right. As time went on with no trace of hay, the town started to worry. One of the teachers at the school was asked by police to talk to Hay's friends to see if anyone knew where she might have been. Now, this teacher was a younger teacher, and the kids talked to her really well. Her name was Holly, and it is said that Holly took down a bunch of questions, and she passed them out to all the girls. There were questions about where her and Anon may have been, where she may have gone, um, if her and Anon had any secret places. Most of her questions were focused around Anon because she didn't realize that they weren't together anymore. Now, they had these agendas, and they had to go to the bathroom, like if they had to go to the bathroom, they had to use the agenda. And it is said that Anon needed to go to the bathroom really bad when they came back to school and he didn't have his agenda. So he asked one of their friends to borrow it. And that's when he found all the questions. He did confront Holly on this, but not in a way that was like rude or like, oh, like angry. It was just like, hey, can you not put like these on paper and ask people because I don't want things going back to my family. They don't know that I was in a relationship with Hay. And even then, there was no luck that came from that. No one knew anything. The investigation started out a little slow. And this is, there's a few reasons why. Hay was 18 years old. She wasn't a child. She had a car and her car was also missing. And then on the first day, the police called around to her friends. They talked to Aisha. They talked to Anon. And that's when he tells them that he, like, that, like so it gets a little muggy here. People remember Anon asking, hey, for a ride. But he tells them that he did ask for a ride. And he doesn't know if it was this day or not, but that she wouldn't do it. Um, hey had to get her cousin. And she took that very seriously. So she didn't do anything after school. And he doesn't remember exactly why he asked her for a ride. But he knows that he didn't take one with her. The next day, they called hospitals, hotels, motels. They even checked the area around the high school parking lot where she was last seen. That first day, they also called her new boyfriend, Don. They checked the area around his house, which was in another county northeast of Baltimore. And then they checked his alibi. He said that he was at a lens crafter store um, when Hay went missing. And the manager also corroborates that story. He wasn't at the one where Hay worked. He was at a different one. On February 6th, they do an awful forbidding thing that is necessary, I guess. Um, they have a bunch of dogs smell hay stuff, and they check the wooded areas in the field around Woodland High School. They used hay's curling iron for the scent. On February 8th, they make a report that says that they're going to check hay's computer, her AOL account, and her emails to see if there's any clues. Um, but nothing came up. 
They wanted to see if maybe she was talking to someone and she ended up going to go see them. They thought it would give them answers. But on February 9th, their search stops. February 9th, 1999, a maintenance worker, Alonzo Sellers, claimed that he was drinking a 22-ounce can of Budweiser while walking back to work when he made a pit stop. I walked around the bushes and everything, and I got back all the way there. And as I was getting ready to urinate, I looked down, and I seen something that looked like hair. It was covered by dirt, and I looked real good again, and that's when I saw something that looked like a foot. Sellers calls the police and tells them he found a body. When the police arrived, they were able to confirm that it was Hay Min Lee. Now, as family and friends were notified, Krista calls Anon. And that that took a lot. Anon wasn't allowed to get phone calls from girls, but she did. And she recalls, she tells him they found Hay's body. And she said that the phone just went silent. You would have been able to hear a pen drop. And then Anon just asked her, is Aisha home? He says, tell Aisha I'm coming over, and he makes his way there. When everyone's gathering around, Aisha is in disbelief. Anon's in disbelief. Everyone is just a mess. But the one thing that they remember is Anon kept saying, this is wrong. They have the wrong person. That's not hay. This can't be hay. He even went as far as calling the police department to tell them, you're wrong. That's not hay. The only way that people are able to describe the way he was feeling was he was emotional. He was a mess. He didn't know what to do, and they've never seen him like that. Now, as one case would, the police are suspicious of Mr. Sellers. See, by this time, he be- he's become a suspect in this case. They said nine days after Mr. Sellers was found reporting the body, they had to go over some details because parts of his story didn't seem right. One thing is that there was a bunch of trees fallen and it said that around the area that he was in, it would have been hard to see the other side of that log. It was 127 feet back into the woods and the log was covering that pathway. But if you keep coming back, you got to a stream and the name of that was Dead Run. Hay's body was buried right behind this log and along that stream. And if you're standing on the street side where he was, You couldn't see over it. You wouldn't have been able to notice her. So the story about why he stopped and where he stopped didn't quite add up. This doesn't ever get cleared up, though. They kind of just let it go. They don't come back to it. It's fishy, but they don't bring it up again. The path he takes into the woods wouldn't have really led him to this log, and they don't understand how he ended up there. But anyways, they needed... He said that he needed to find a way to pee, a spot to pee, And he just went there. That's how he went there. And if you're walking through everything, you would naturally avoid it because then you'd have to step over it. But I don't know. The reasonable question, though, is Hay's body was hard to find. It was nearly impossible to spot from where he's at. And the spot where he stops is only a few miles from his house. Now, remember, he's walking. So he had to go back home. He got his beer and then he went back to the school. So it's a five-minute walk. Why wouldn't he just wait? And that's where, as you go into the docuseries and as we go into part two, you're going to understand the questions there because there's just things about this that don't add up. Now, Alonzo Sellers has a huge criminal background. He is 
always caught for indecent exposure. He's been found streaking, running naked. People have ran into him running naked. So when his family was questioned about this, they thought he was probably streaking again. He was probably running through the woods naked, and that's how he found it. Now, you would think that they would look more into that case, but they don't. On February 12th, 1999, Baltimore police detective Daryl Massey received two anonymous phone calls telling him to look into Lee's ex-boyfriend as a possible suspect. Now, the anonymous phone calls, they said, was a male Asian, and he called because he said that Anon had something to do with this. And at that point, the police stopped every other suspect list and honed in on Anon. As they started to close on to Anon, they needed to know more about him and the connection that he had to Hay. Why would he do this? Now, this is where it starts to get really muggy, and we're going to hit a lot of points into this, but we will end up touching base on a lot of stuff in part two. I'm trying to keep the story as clear as possible as we go through this one, but we will hit more into part two about this case. Jay and Anon had gone to school together since middle school and had a friendship on and off. They would hang out, smoke weed, but then they weren't super close. But Jay would end up being the star of this shocking trial. Jay met with Baltimore Police Department numerous times to explain the events of the day that Hay went missing. The only issue was that Jay's story continuously changed depending on who he was talking to. From the police statements, they spoke to Jen first and then Jay, and then the whole story unraveled on what happened to Hay. We'll start with Jen. We're going to go there first. Jen and other friends' stories slightly vary from Jay's, and in the HBO docuseries, definitely get debunked. So listen to this, and then you'll hear that. On the 26th, the cops, the 26th of February, sorry, the cops had gone to find Jen at her house. They explained that they would like her to come downtown to talk, and Jen was thoroughly like, uh, no, no thanks. She said she can't right now, she's busy, but maybe later. Now, the police talked to Jen, and when Jen talks to them, she goes directly to Jay. He was at work, and Jen says, he told me to go down there and tell them what I know. Tell them enough to keep me out of trouble and tell them to see Jay. Send them his way. So, the next day, Jen goes down to talk to the cops, and she lies to them. She says she doesn't know anything. I've seen the detective's notes from that interview, and they're remarkably uninteresting. She just keeps saying, I don't know. Maybe. I don't really know. I wasn't really involved. I have no idea. The transcript is all online. You can you can look at it, and it's also in the HBO docuseries. The next day, she goes back to the detectives, and she's asked why she goes back, and she says because she lied and she was scared. So this time, she has her attorney and her mom, and she tells the police what she knows. From Jen's point of view, on January 13th, 1999, Jen told police that Jay was at her house playing video games and that he had a cell phone with him, which was unusual for Jay. He got a call around 3.30 and he left. He didn't say where he was going or what he was doing. He just left. Later that evening, Jen, Jay paged Jen, but it was so confusing to her, so she found the number that was linked to it and called. She said someone answered and said that he was busy and he would call them later. 30 minutes later, Jay calls Jen. She He asks her to meet him at the West Valley Mall in front of Value City. And when she gets there, she sees that Anon's with Jay. It's not unusual. And Jay gets into Jen's car. Now, this is where it gets unusual. 
When Jay gets into Jen's car, he asks her to pull over to the back of the building. He tells her, Anon killed Hay, and he has shovels and he needs to wipe his prints off of them. Now, before we jump into Jay's side, there was another friend that was with Jen when police came, and they also have a side. They said that they ran into Jay and Anon on the 13th as well. Her name is Christy. Now, Christy is friends with Jen. She doesn't know Anon. She's not really close with Jay. She's a sorority sister to Jen. And she recalls that on the morning of the 13th, she had a conference. And then that afternoon after she got home around 5 p.m., that Jay and Anon showed up at 6. Jay asked if they can hang out. And she said that Jay didn't introduce Anon, but that Anon was really high. And he didn't say anything except, how do you stop this high? Anon then received a phone call. And she remembers the phone call being really weird. He kept just saying, what am I going to do? Are they going to talk to me? How do I handle this? And then he left. See, this is where it gets tricky. Jay's, Jay's work says that Jay went to the police on the 20th, 21st, and 22nd to speak to the police. But there's no recordings or documentation of that that they presented to him. They said in court that they didn't speak to him to the 28th. And now with all of that, we can see where it gets a little muggy because... The 26th is when police first contact Jen and they say that they spoke to Jen first and then found Jay. Now, on February 28th, 1990, Jay does speak to the police and gives them his side of the story. He says on the morning of the 13th, Jay says that Anon called him around 1045 a.m. to ask him if he got Stephanie a birthday present. It was her birthday that day. When Jay said that he didn't, Anon left school and drove to Jay's house. Jay didn't have a car of his own and needed to go buy something for her. And Anon decided to let him borrow his car and phone for the day and told him to just pick him up from school later. Now, during his second interview with police, Jay said, okay, I left out. I went shopping with a friend of mine, an ex-friend of mine, Anon. We had a conversation. During the conversation, he stated that he was going to kill that bitch, referring to Haley. And I took it with content. I didn't have anything that started up in my head. And in the interview with police, it made it seem like Anon had planned to kill Hay that day. See, we're going to get into part two, why they needed to do that. What, why that had to change. And that, com- that comes later. But there's a reason why his story altered. Jay tells police that Anon leaves the car with him because he is going to kill Hay. Jay says that he drops Anon off at school and goes over to his friend Jen's house to hang out until Anon called. Around 3.30 p.m., Jay says that Anon called Jay to come and get him, and he meets Anon in the Best Buy parking lot. He says when he arrives, Anon opens the trunk, and there's Hay pretzeled in the trunk dead. He says that they leave the parking lot, and he follows Anon, who's driving Hay's car. They drive to the park and ride on the I-70, where they ditch Hay's car with her body. Jay says, says that he then drives Anon back to school for track practice that happened because he couldn't miss it. And then after Anon's practice, Jay picks him back up. And by this time, Hay's family has already called the cops. And Anon gets a phone call from the police department asking about Hay. After this call, Jay recalls going home, getting shovels, picking up Hay's car, and then driving to Lincoln Park, where Anon dug a hole and buried Hay's body around 8 p.m. They then drive to a, a lot, kind of just like anywhere, and they park Hay's car there, and it stays there. Now, after dropping the car off, they said that they drove to Jay's house where Anon leaves him and he has Jen pick her up and he tells her everything that happens. 
Now, the one major piece with this information about this crime that the cops are still missing, though, is Hay's car. They don't know where it is. They've been looking for it and they can't find it. Now, Jay tells them he knows where that is. And once they're finished at headquarters, they all drive out to the middle uh, in the middle of the night to where the car is parked on a grassy hill behind a row of houses on Edmondson Avenue. So I want to pause here for a minute. This story does change again. It changes later as we go into the trial and as we continue, it even changes all the way into 2019 when people had that last interaction with Jay. The story never stays the same. And that's what makes it really hard. Because in Jen's story, she picks up Jay at Best Buy, not at Best Buy, I'm sorry, at the Westfield Mall at Value City. That's where she gets Jay. Jay's side says that he gets picked up at home. So there, there's two different sides to this in the same instant. But then Christy, she has a whole nother side because when we go to trial and we'll go through that story too, it changes and she comes involved. So that is the first first story that kind of came out. You're going to hear the multiple ones and then we're going to tell you why that instant of Anon saying that he was going to kill Hay and that's why he had the car, why that comes into play later in part two. In the early morning hours of February 28th, 1999, Adnan was sleeping when his older brother heard something downstairs. The Baltimore Police Department was there to arrest Adnan in connection with the murder of Hay Min Lee. Police searched Adnan's car and house, taking samples to match the area found around Lincoln Park, but nothing comes back a match. When Adnan arrives at the police station, he was quickly read his Miranda rights and placed into a cell. Adnan said it felt like forever that he was in there. He didn't understand why he was arrested, and there was no information given to him. He didn't know that he was arrested for Heyman Lee's murder. He didn't understand why they were doing this. When the detectives finally came to speak to Adnan, he quickly found out that he was being charged with murder. Adnan stated in the HBO docuseries that he couldn't describe the emotions that he was feeling because he was just mourning one of the losses of his best friend to now being accused of being her murderer. As soon as everything all processed, Adnan requested his lawyer. When his lawyer arrived at the station, he was told that Adnan did not ask for him because of that, they didn't have to let him in. So they stated that Adnan didn't ask for him directly. So then they just weren't going to let him in to speak to Adnan. As the police were talking to Adnan, they mentioned that Jay told them the truth. And Adnan was super confused. He was trying to rattle his brain on who Jay was. And that's when it all clicked. Jay Wilder. He was the only Jay that Adnan knew. And this even confused him even more. See, Adnan was confused on why Jay would make any of this up about him that none of this was true. It's not like they were fighting. There wasn't some secret feud through Jay and Adnan. There was no drug dealer gone wrong. No one had bad mouth either or stolen the other's girlfriend. Adnan said, yeah, we smoked weed together, but we weren't close. However, Adnan was close with Stephanie, Jay's girlfriend, very close. And Adnan says that the only thing he can think of now was that that may have turned Jay against him. Stephanie was smart. She was the top athlete at the school. She was beautiful by any standard. She looked like a model. She came from a family of overachievers who didn't approve of Jay, but had no problem with Adnan. So maybe Stephanie's relationship with Adnan, how affectionate they were, the constant talking on the phone, the prom prince and princess stuff, maybe that's what pushed Jay to do this. 
Now that brings us to the end of this part, this series. There is going to be a second part next week, and there may be a third depending on how long that one gets. I'm trying to keep these episodes under at least an hour. I think we're about to hit 45 minutes right now. So with that, you will get the second part of this story next Saturday. As always, thank you for listening to Murder by Nature. If you enjoyed our show, please rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any streaming platform that you're currently on. And be sure to come back next next Saturday for that new episode. Until then, I am your host, Jasmine Hernandez. Don't forget to stay safe. Don't get murdered or murder people, you lovely humans. Have a wonderful Saturday.